All right, we're just going to hop right into this. Uh, welcome into the 140th episode of the Breakstarter Podcast. You're going to get just me, Zach Taylor, uh, in your ear, in your car, in your headphones. Um, I'm trying to think how else you could listen to the podcast. In uh, through those little like walkie-talkies with like the cups and like the string. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know. However you can get me, that's where I am. That's how you can hear this. But um, I, this is going to be very like free-flowing. I have I kind of have like a guide of what I kind of want to talk about. Um, but I kind of just want to like do some like theory crafting on top of something that was posted recently. Um, specifically talking about the GM survey. Um, so me and Sean have done this. I think the past two years we've talked about this. So this will be the third one. Um, and I didn't want to go super in-depth on the survey itself, just in case me and Sean are talking about it later. But more just wanted to talk about, like, the ideas that and, like, the thought process of the GMs. Um, and kind of how I kind of feel like the media is skewing to think a certain way. Um, I don't know. We're just going to kind of let it flow. I don't know how long this is going to be. This might be a 12-minute episode. This might be 30 I have no clue. Obviously, if you're listening right now, you already know how long it is. But, um, so yeah, the GMs get a survey every year. Uh, basically, just they get, I mean, honestly, it's probably like 30 something questions along the lines of like um, uh, winning awards, winning uh, Eastern Conference Finals, winning the Finals, West Conference Finals. Uh, there's like defensive ones who like who's the best teammate, who's the best like perimeter defender. There's a bunch of stuff like that. Um, but, I kind of want to touch on this, like, this, like, I guess that you call it a theory that I'm kind of trying to build on and try and, like, break down into something that I can put into actionable advice to you listening, whether it be as, like, a fan or it be in fantasy or if you just want to hear some random dude jabber about anything about basketball. Um, that's what I'm about to try and give you. So I've noticed, and I want to go back and check just to make sure I wasn't just, like, thinking it was this way and it wasn't. Um, I, it feels like there's a, a very strong, like narrative about a lot of things. Like, for example, right now, take a second. I'll slow down. Sorry. Let me slow down right now. If I were to tell you, close your eyes and name the, who wins MVP this year, who would it be? I'm gonna give you like three seconds. All right, now why did you think of one of Luka Doncic, Giannis, uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo, or Joel Embiid? Well, because Jokic won the last two years. He's probably not going to win three in a row. Giannis has been in the mix, and Embiid have been in the mix the last two years. We've wanted Luka to be in the mix, and he kind of just never gets to that level, and we think maybe he can get, that, get it this year. Is that your thought process right there if I'm right I'm right if not like of course you know I'm not trying to speak for you um but it feels like there's a lot of things like that that are kind of being pushed through um and I feel like a lot of people in the community and I guess I'm only getting a survey from the GM so I guess I can I should speak more about them specifically but a lot of like the the views I feel like are narrowing down on very specific idealized almost like an idealistic way to think about something Um, and the last time in my opinion that happened was like right before we saw the Curry blow up, basically changing the whole way that we even see the NBA right now. Um, if you think back like to 2012, okay, let's think of this, you know, OKC is going, is going to the playoffs. They're pushing with their young guys. Dirk is getting their little run going. The Spurs are crazy good ball movement. Excuse me. I got the hiccups. Um, 
LeBron is going nuts on the Heat. You know, like, it's everything just feels nice and in the flow. Kevin Durant's on the come up. He's kind of thinking he's, he's like, in that GOAT talk very early on. I believe he's already won a scoring title in 2012. It might be 2013. I could be messing that up. Um, but, like, and then we see Curry come out of nowhere. And he's shooting 17 threes a game and is just setting the world on fire. We don't know, but no one knows how to, how to like comprehend it. They're like, oh, he shouldn't be shooting this many. This can't last forever. He continues to do it. And now we're eight years later. And if you can't shoot threes, you are blatantly a liability for your team. And so I'm kind of like trying, I'm not trying to like force it into being a thing, but like I'm trying to figure out if there's a way that we can figure out and or expect um another turning like that i I think uh in my notes i refer to it as like an era rotation um or a refresher almost like a renaissance of the nba and we kind of get this every you know eight to ten years eight to twelve and that's just like off the top of my head just trying to think historically um but like you can very vividly separate an eight to ten year block of the nba in chunks now you can say it's based on like the superstars of that league or of that era based on who's running the league, the teams, et cetera, all this kind of stuff. But, like, you can very vividly divide them up. Um, yeah, I called it a renaissance, sorry. Um, and I, I'm just a little, like, I mean, very vividly with the, with, the, with the GMs, you can tell. So, for example, last season, the, so they, they had the, the same questions, basically the same questions every year. Um, who will win MVP? Last year, 37% of people picked Kevin Durant. Okay, you know, on the Nets, they just got Harden, they got Kyrie. You're like, okay, their team is looking nasty. Okay, this gonna be, they're going to be a good good team. Keep in mind, they were also picked to win the title by like 80%. So we'll just throw that one out there. Um, now, he, he got 37% of the GM votes. So that's roughly, what, 30 GMs? You know, he probably got like 11 votes. Okay. Luka Doncic won it this year, or got the most votes this year, at 48. 48% of the votes is what Luka got. Like, that's a big jump. That That's another, what? Uh, I mean, y'all make me do math on top of my head. That's another, like, four GMs who are all banking on one player. Oh, Almost 15 of the 30 GMs believe that Luka is going to win MVP. That's incredible. Uh, and then, like, uh, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm reading these as I'm going through. Like, I don't, I didn't want to like stay on too long. Um, last year, they had if you were starting a franchise today and could sign any player in the NBA, who would it be? Luka Doncic got 43 percent. Giannis got 40, and then a collection of players, I believe, it, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, of eight players got the other 17 percent. Okay, this year when they did the poll. Giannis got 55% of the votes, and Luka was the only other player to receive votes. And, like, I don't know if I disagree with it, but that's kind of, like, where I'm trying to, like, stir up this thought process of, like, do we all just kind of think something similar to where it's, like, we're going to miss something? And and that's kind of where I'm, like, trying to, like, stir this up. Like, are we going to miss something because everyone thinks it's these two? Like, you're telling me not a single person picks Trey Young. Not a single person picks DeJounte Murray. Not a single person picks Tatum. Not a single person picks Jalen Brown. Like, there's so... No one picks Booker. Um, I mean, from last year's list. 
There were people who picked LeBron, Kevin Durant, Anthony Davis, Jokic. Zion got votes last year. Zion Williamson got votes last year. And this year, not a single player other than Giannis and Luka got votes. Okay, let's go to the next one. Which player forces opposing coaches to make the most adjustments? Okay, now keep in mind, I completely agree with this one. But again, that's where I'm kind of trying to like stir this up. Last year, Steph Curry won it with 27% of the votes. He got the most votes. The year before that was James Harden. So that would be 2020, 2021 was James Harden. Uh, 2021, 2022 was Steph Curry at 27%. This year, Steph Curry won it with 52% of the votes. 52. That is insane. Like, oh, again, oh, almost, oh, this is actually over half the league. Over half the league of GM, the GMs, uh, the GMs in the league. Wow, that does not feel like a full sentence. I'm sorry. Um, 52% of GMs think Steph Curry is the hardest person to coach against. Again, I don't disagree with it, but it's like, where, is there like a, are we all missing something? Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's not that I think we're all wrong, but like, we can't all be this right, is what I'm kind of trying to emphasize with this. Um, another one. This one isn't as, as drastic. Which player is most likely to have a breakout this season? Last year, uh, the leader was Jaron Jackson with Anthony Edwards in second. Okay? This year, Evan Mobley with 21%. Now, do those not feel the exact same? Like... The, you know what I mean? Like, like we we had similar hopes coming, seeing Jaron Jackson's rookie season and everything. Kind of ho- obviously, I think Evan Mobley is better than Jaron Jackson. But the thing is, is like, are they not? If you if you had to close your eyes, are they not literally like? If you, are they not like comparable? Like they're very similar. Their their growth trajectory would be similar. Um, not to mention, Anthony Edwards was second again with a higher consistency of votes. So now, last year, it was 17%, 13 10 7 and then a ton of players got less than 7 okay? This year, 21% from Mobley, 17% from Cade, 17% from Anthony Edwards, and then there's only, like, six other players who even got votes. Like, I, 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 don't, I don't know what I'm missing here. Like, and this might be crazy that I'm trying to have this conversation, like, Someone please text me if this is crazy, but like, it feels like some hive mind type thing. I don't know if if you've heard if you've heard that reference before of hive mind. Basically, just like uh, I think it's a reference to like bees um, and how like they think all in unison. Uh, let me look up exactly the reference. Um, collective mental activity expressed in the complex, coordinated behavior of a colony of social insects. Okay, cool. Well, obviously that's not exact, but you know what I mean. Um, I mean, let's go to the next one. Who's the best point guard in the NBA? Again, I don't even disagree with this. Steph Curry last year got 57% of the votes. He got 72 this year. 72. And in the 21-22 season, Curry was the number one with 30% of the votes. So in three years, he went from 30%, 57, to 72. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> that, that's a pretty big jump. Okay, power forwards. Power forwards uh, in last year, we had Giannis, 
as a leader at 63% this year, 86%. Giannis is my guy. I am a Bucks fan. He is my, my favorite player in the world. But 86%? It, it just feels like, I, I don't know, like, because the, the media to me doesn't feel like it projects it that way. But is it? Like, when you close your eyes and I ask you who is the best power forward and you have to pick between Giannis, LeBron, Kevin Durant, who are you picking? I don't think many people pick Giannis. That's the thing. I, I think I think Kevin Durant is up there. And I think LeBron is up there. Like, I don't think it's 86%. Keep in mind, a similar trajectory to Curry's, Giannis in the 21-2022 had 46% of the vote. The following year, 63. The following year, 86. Holy cow, bro. Um, let's see. I'm, I'm, again, I'm just scrolling. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to like really stick on these that much. Um, but it, it's just something that I kind of wanted to like ask, like, is, is it just me or is like, is it weird to like question that? I, I don't know. Um, another thing that I kind of thought was cool was they voted. And again, this is kind of just time back to just talking about the, the survey. Um, the best internet. So one of the questions, sorry. One of the questions was, "Who is the best international player not in the NBA?" Forty-five percent of GMs picked Victor Wembanyama, and a eighteen-year-old kid who technically technically does play at a pro level, but like, holy cow, forty-five percent. Forty-five percent of you think that, and the thing is, like before. It was Miritich, which, like, honestly, like, I probably would have picked Miritich just because, like, off the top of my head, like, who am I going to name? So I kind of get it, but it's like, is he? Like, should we know more names that, like, kind of get tossed around there? I I don't know. Like, just something I kind of wanted to toss around, like, uh, kind of more rolling into what I wanted to talk about based on that um, is, is there something that we can make actionable from this, like, inference that I believe maybe a pattern building or something um the a lot of the picks feel extreme in the percentages and i you know for a fact that everyone making their vote is not talking to everyone else saying like oh yeah let's all pick Giannis and make it 86 percent everyone is individually in their own storyline taking their survey and just writing on his name as one 86 percent of the time I don't know, like, it, it kind of, like, again, like, try, again, trying to round this into something actionable and, like, a more focused conversation. I previously said that we may be entering an era where rangy athletic bigs are in abundance and become lower valued, okay? And I've tossed this around with Sean a little bit, and, like, I, I don't want to say that I, like, that Sean agrees with me because I don't want to speak for him. Um, but he, I think he like, he'll at least like play along with the idea with me. I, I don't, I don't want to like speak for him whether he agrees with it or not, but like he can kind of see like Robert Williams, OG Ananobi, and are, are used to be like the, the OG build of player that I was drawn to in the draft. Okay. These like, a little bit shorter, really long wingspan, big vertical, really fast, but they play center. 
Okay, or they can guard centers. And then that's that's the that's the niche that you're buying into. And then we come into this draft and we got I mean, do you want to count Paolo in that? You count Keegan Murray in that? Like there might be like ten in the first round, ten or twelve in the first round that are that. So it's like are we entering a stage where last year we thought Jaron Jackson Jr. had the best setup for a big breakout season, which, first of all, was wrong. They got the wrong Grizzlies player. Um, and then we picked Mobley, who's a rangy big that we kind of see a little shooting touch from him. We've seen crazy defense. Again, um, is there going to be a situation where, like, there's too many? And I, I don't want to say that in, like, a deteriorating type of tear it down, like stop doing it, I know I'm right, or anything like like is it is there a scenario where like there's so many of them that that now breeds into this new renaissance? And I can't wrap my head around like the full theory of it that I want to build and, and honestly like I appreciate you if you're still listening 17 minutes in of me really just rambling through my thoughts out loud. Um but I think it might be I, I think I think the excess of these rangy bigs and the fact that more players are knowledgeable and skillful handling the ball and like able to play defense to a play, like a what's the word a, a a pro level honestly to be able to play defense at a pro level. For example, one guy I would like to point out specifically is Dyson Daniels. Dyson Daniels three or sorry five years ago is Josh Jackson like he could have gone top three he's got the playmaking he's got the defense he can he's I think he's like six seven six eight like I don't know sorry I think he's like six 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 seven sorry um like he can kind of shoot like he has the athleticism those little bursts like that's top three pick and now Dustin Daniels was, like, questionable about being in the lottery. I think he went, ended up going, like, eight or nine. Sorry, I don't, I don't have it pulled up in front of me. But um, goes to the Pelicans, and it was like, oh, yeah, a decent pick. Cool. He, he probably fits there very well. I mean, dude, that archetype went third five years ago. Jalen Brown, similar kind of archetype. Like, I, I just think, like, we could be building into this, like, this next era, and I don't know what it is. But I want to know. I I, I want to know because another thing to build on top of it is the perfect example of it is is actually Victor Wimanyama. Okay, Victor Wimanyama is what like six or sorry sorry seven sorry looking it up just to make sure I can give you the right answer. Victor Wim should just come straight up. He is seven foot two. Honestly, I think he is taller than that. He looks reasonably bigger than Gobert. Um. He he looks to me like a cheat code. Like seven foot something, probably almost an eight foot wingspan, can handle the ball, hits threes from the hash. Like this is the Kevin Durant build. And so what I'm curious about is he's not going to be the only one. I, kn- I know we're really hyped about him currently, but he's not – the first one, and he's sure as hell not going to be the last one. But, I, like, when when does it get to the point where, like, he isn't the guaranteed 
number one, like his archetype isn't the guaranteed number one. Because many people, including Sean, I mean, again, not trying to speak for him again, but like Sean had, I'm pretty sure Sean had like Mobley as his two and like honestly considered taking, having him as, as his one last year. And I, I had no, I had no, nothing against it. I, I think we both agreed Cade was the one and the number two was Mobley or Jalen Green. Jalen Green for me, Mobley for him. But there were times where like, we, we had conversations back and forth, and he really thought about having me as the one. And I had no I, – I could see it. I could really see it. And I just I, – I'm curious when we get to the point where that – where we get to that level of, like, people – for the longest time, it was, it was 3 and D. 3 and D was the archetype we need. Oh, he's, he's a 3 and D wing. He's a 3 and D wing. He's a, he's a six foot nine 3 and D wing. You, Okay, well, like, if you just can't handle the ball, you're just going to be listed as that now. Like, blatantly, you are just listed as a 3 and D wing. Like, people call Chris Middleton a 3 and D wing. He is not a 3 and D wing. Like, so I'm, what happens when guys, you can get someone not to the level of Victor Wimiyama or Mobley, but you can go get Tarisen, middle of the first round, and he gives you 80% of Wimbledon. So then where is the advantage that your team can get from drafting other positions? And again, honestly, I don't know how I'm at 21 minutes. I I don't know how deep I want to go into this. If, if, you're, if anyone is following this, I'm, I'm sure I'm, I've lost some of you. If you're still following, I love it. Um... But yeah, my, my final thought, and I guess I'll just close it here just so I don't like keep going. Um, honestly, I, I'm probably going to save a little bit of this to talk, to talk to Sean about it. I know we've talked about the, the bigs and how I think they're going to get devalued a little bit just by the abundance. But I, I, I just want to run this through again and kind of get his feedback live with you guys listening. Um, but my final point is going to be, so th- this is kind of like the thing, that, the flywheel that I'm worried about, okay, that, that makes it where – we get to this abundance, and then we've still drafted three years too many or too early of these rangy bigs. And I don't, th- I don't, I don't think we're there. But I don't know if we'll know until we see that that Renaissance switch flip. Um, so GMs are reactionary. I think we would all agree with that. They see Curry go off. Curry is now the best point guard. Oh, we've seen Kirk off even more. Now he's going to get 75% of the votes. Okay? They're reactionary. They see Curry's a three-point shooter. Okay. We need to see it for a year and a half, two years. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll take Trey Young early now. Would have never done it before that. Would have never done it before that. Um, so GMs are reactionary. Okay? But with them being late... Most 14 to 17-year-olds, okay? So basically everyone in the next, I guess, from the 2024 class to the 2028 class, okay? Obviously, this is very far in advance. Um, These are 14 to 17-year-olds, okay? If you think about it, they started consuming, really, really consuming NBA content, most likely around 2014, that would put them, if they're 14 now, 
that would put them eight years ago. That'd be six. If they were 17, that would put them around 10. I think that's roughly about right. Six to 10 is kind of when you really, really start watching. If you like basketball, you're going to probably start watching around then. If not later than that. All of those players, all those kids, grew up watching Curry, this three-point ball, small ball, versatility bigs, rangy bigs, Draymond, LeBron being a, a facilitating big. So I, I'm i just going to kind of leave you with this and just kind of stir some thought because I would love some feedback, honestly. I really would. If you listen to this, please text me. Uh, I would love to get some feedback on it. What do you think is that next wave? What what is going to turn the NBA? Because this this three-point shooting completely destroyed an archetype. If I had to like pinpoint exactly the type of player it destroyed, it was Marvin Bagley. Marvin Bagley, a stellar footwork, still had a little bit of athletic burst, big who was all inside mid ranges he had it a little, he had a hint of the three point shot but nothing enough to like really really be like a lockdown shooter be reliable and he just came out late he came out late on the cycle curry goes nuts and the league had already started changing and it was they were the, he was basically like one of those last few drafts where you were like oh he could probably convert we're going to believe it. We, we know three-point is the next thing, but he can probably still do it. And, I mean, it could be him. I, I don't know, but, like, if Marvin Bagley gets drafted 10 years earlier, where is he, you know? Like, if we say that Curry, all the Curry three-point stuff kind of went down in 2014, he gets drafted in 2018. See, like, in that scenario, it's he was – one of those late, late come-ups now where it's like, he feels like we should have known by then, but we still wouldn't commit to it. I don't know. I just don't know. I don't Because some of these players are going to be lost in that. They're going to be lost in the renaissance. And I don't know what that archetype is that gets lost. I know playmaking is going to be emphasized by every position. We're already kind of seeing that. We know shooting is already being emphasized. We know that. I, I'm a big emphasis on off-the-dribble shooting for point guards. I don't know if that's really a hot take. Like, you know, wings need to be able to guard multiple positions. Like, I don't know. Like, I kind of thought it was – like, Scotty Barnes to me feels like the perfect – in flow rotation like he's like okay yeah he got drafted within this range we know he needs to kind of fit in as much as we don't want to say it, he needs to fit into this draymond role he's gonna play make he's gonna score he's gonna he's gonna play defense extremely well like so like i'm just curious what this next renaissance this renaissance of the nba is going to bring and who is it's gonna leave behind all right that's gonna close it out for us um Sean, enjoy your week off. You need it, buddy. I love you. Um, but that's going to do it for the Breakstar Podcast. I will talk to you guys next week. Later.